How's everybody? Good. Big hello to everybody who's online. Thank you guys for being there. We're so, so glad that you could make it. We're in Titus 2. Uh, if you want to get that out uh, on your phone or if you have a Bible. How many of you guys actually read a physical Bible when you're reading a Bible? All right. How many of you use your phone? All right. Not bad. Anybody else use anything else? Scroll. Nice. Nice. Parchment is always, parchment's always good, right? So Titus chapter 2, uh, as we're in the, in, we, we've walked through 1 Thessalonians, we've walked through 2 Thessalonians, and now we're going to walk through Titus uh, chapter 2. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes when you get up here, you're not as excited uh, because maybe the passage is hard or, or just lots of reasons. I am excited to be able to, to, to teach tonight, and here's why. I'm going to give you 25 different verses tonight. Yeah, so, and, and listen, I'm just going to tell you up front, we're staying until I'm done. Well, let me, re- hold on, hold on, let me rephrase that. I'm staying until I'm done. You can leave whenever you want to, okay? Um, but I'm going to finish it tonight because for, for me, the end of Titus 2 is one of, I think, the most important things that Paul writes in all of his letters. And and I'm hoping that somehow through the conversation that you end up feeling the same way. Because I really do believe that if you can understand Titus 2, the end part, right? That, listen, I think it's a game changer. And for me, it was a game changer. Now, when I came to Tomoka uh, 12 years ago, Joe was on a sabbatical. And so I, I came on as a new pastor. Joe had been here uh, by that time. Joe had been here 17 years. He's now in his 29th year. Uh, but he'd been here 17 years. And he was pretty much the sole and primary communicator on the weekend. And so this new guy from Illinois shows up who's loud. I, back then I used to run back and forth across the stage. The Canberra people hated it, right? Uh, I was a screamer, right? I was all of those things. And, and, and one of the things that came out about me when people compared me to Joe, right? Was that Cord talks too much about grace. That's what people said. They said other things which were slightly hurtful, but I got over them, right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but what people routinely said about me was Cord talks about grace too much. And Joe talks about mission too much, right? Uh, but that was the moniker. Titus chapter two is the reason that my preaching changed, right? They asked, they asked, uh, Dwight Moody, uh, D.L. Moody, uh, the founder of Moody Bible Institute about preaching. And he said, if I could go back and do it again, he said, I would preach, I would preach on the love of God. And the next week I came back, he said, I would preach on the love of God. And the week after that, I'd come back and I'd preach on the love of God. I wouldn't do it that way. No offense to D.L. Moody. I would preach on the love of God and then the next week, the grace of God. And then the third week, the love of God and the fourth week, the grace of God. Because I don't think that you can be a well-balanced believer without a full appreciation of the love of God and with the grace of God. And that's what I hope to get to tonight. So how many of you have ever watched Seinfeld? If you're online, raise your hand wherever you're at. How many of you watched Seinfeld, right? Okay. Saved versus unsaved. We're clear, right? Uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld's not for everybody. I watched it, of course, back in the 80s. What else were you going to do, right? And so there was an episode of Seinfeld where 
a friend, quote, of Elaine's got married in India and all of them got invited to go to India to the wedding. And the show starts with them returning from the wedding. Elaine has a nose piercing and they all look horrible, right? The 30 minute episode started with the end and went backwards to the beginning. That's what Titus chapter two does. Titus two starts out, Older men, be this way and teach younger men. Older women, be this way and teach younger women. All of you be this way in relationship to older people, elders. But at the end of two of Titus, he tells us why that's important. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. We're going to start with the end and work back to the beginning so that the beginning makes sense. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? All right. So let's just read some verses. Okay? You can write these down. Again, the notes are always available in YouVersion. Um, get on your YouVersion app. Click more. Find live events. Tomoka. The notes are there. Right? All right. Let's start with some verses. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read several verses in Galatians here. So Paul was talking to a church that he had preached the gospel to of a bunch of Gentiles. Meaning they weren't of physical Jewish descent. Right? Preach the gospel of Jesus. People believed. The church started. Paul left. Jews came into the church and started telling Gentiles, if you really, if you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law as well except Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes or no? Right? That ticked Paul off beyond measure. No letter does Paul write where in the Greek he's more angry. No, in no uncertain terms, Paul lets them have it. And so Paul is addressing that issue in context, right? Jews said you got to be circumcised, which means you've got to follow the law to be saved. Paul said you got to believe in Jesus. So they've come behind Paul and said, no, 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 Paul's wrong, right? Paul's wrong. You, you gotta, you gotta get circumcised. You gotta follow the Jewish law. If you want to be saved, Jesus isn't enough. Right? Listen to what Paul says. The matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the what? Freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We're free, Paul said, in Christ. We're free from the law. Everybody say law. The law of sin and death. Right? The law says that you've got to be perfect or that sin requires a death payment. We're free from that in Christ because in Christ we have acknowledged our sin. If somebody say amen, we've acknowledged our sin and we've paid the debt. Therefore, we're free from the law of sin and death. And every believer said, amen. right? Then that's the gospel of grace. But infiltrators have come in and said, no, you can't have that much freedom in Christ. Yeah, they go on. We didn't give, give in to them for a moment. It says, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. The truth of the gospel. And the gospel is, in Jesus, the law of sin and death has been satisfied. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We deserve death. Separation from God. Jesus said, I'll pay it for them. He did. We said, awesome. We accept it. Now we're free from that. Right? That's the truth of the gospel. Ain't nothing you say, ain't nothing a pastor says that can change that. 
No matter what else is added, the only measure of a person's salvation in Jesus is accepting the payment that Jesus made for them. And when you do that, John, Jesus said in John 8, if you know the Son, you are free. And if you are free, you are free indeed. Man, that's the good news, right? Paul goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners... Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ, right? Anybody in here think that they're perfect? Anybody online think that you're perfect, right? Listen, I ain't ever met a person, believer or not, that thinks they're perfect. Now, I've met people who act like they're perfect, right? We know those people. They're annoying, right? But... You talk, and nobody thinks they're perfect, right? Here's what Paul says. Justified. We've talked about it. Justified means not guilty. Not just as if I've never sinned. That's ridiculous. The only way to be saved is to recognize you're sinful, right? It's not like you've never sinned. No, 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 no. The difference is you get declared not guilty. A legal term declared once that you receive about your crime because Jesus paid the penalty. He says, we know that a man, a person, is not justified or declared not guilty by observing law, meaning keeping all the rules. He says, but by faith in who? In Jesus. Not enough to have faith in God. Talk to people all the time. Oh, I I believe in God. Well, good for you. But if you want to be saved, declared not guilty, you've got to believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Right? So we, he says, two Jews have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, declared not guilty by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Let's be clear. Listen, there's a lot of people in here. There's a lot of people watching online. By the time we calculate all the numbers of people who watch on YouTube, who watch on Facebook, who watch on Roku, who watch live, who stream, it's going to be almost 450 to 500 people. Here's what I know. Nobody in here and nobody that will watch this either online now or later has proven themselves to be not guilty before a holy God because they've always done everything right. Somebody say amen. Right? The only way we get declared not guilty in God's economy is we have to have faith in who? Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way to satisfy the legal requirement. Now, he goes on in verses 19 through 21 and he says this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. What's that mean? How many of you have, how many of you drive? Right? And how many of you see signs that say speed limit, whatever? Okay? And how many of you have ignored those speed limit signs sometimes to go to church? Right? What he says is, the knowledge of the law put me in a position where I was dead to rights a sinner. Right? Knowing what the law is and observing it proves to you and me, we're just not going to cut the mustard. Correct? Yes or no? Right? So that's what he says. So he says, I've been crucified with Christ. 
If you read Romans 6, he says, when I was crucified with Christ, I was crucified into the death of Jesus to pay my sin. Right? So in my death, I surrendered to Christ so my debt would be paid so that I no longer live, but what? Lives in me. Listen, if you're a believer online, you're a believer in here, this ain't about you anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's about who? It's about Jesus. Right? Listen, I heard Joe this, I think it was this weekend or last weekend talking about, you know, expressing to the church, you know, our church as a whole, that he asked for a lot and he's tapped a lot of you out, right? The reality is the reason we ask is because it's no longer about us. It's about who? That's about Jesus. Right? So he says, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I that live. He says, he says, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live today in the body. So he's talking about you and me and the life that we now live. I live by what? Faith, persuasion in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the what? The grace of God, meaning... You and I have been made right with God because of God's grace to sacrifice his son. Right? He says, by accepting Jesus and allowing him to make me righteous, I'm not setting aside the grace of God. He says, and here's why. For if righteousness, doing everything right, satisfying the righteous requirement of the law, could be done or gained through the law, observing right and wrong, Christ died for what? Listen, if there was one person that could do this, Christ didn't die for you. You don't need him. Meaning he died for no reason. Does everybody understand that? If there are people who can be right with God with by doing everything right every time and never doing anything wrong all the time, Jesus died for nothing for you. Does that make sense to you? Right? Jesus died because everybody needed this, right? Listen to Galatians 3. I'm going somewhere, I, 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 I promise, right? I'm probably more excited than I am clear, so some of this is going to be worked out in front of you, so just be with, patient with me, right? He says to him, you foolish Galatians, right? That, that, that sentence in the Greek is fun, right? You get Paul's frustration with him when you read that sentence, right? You foolish Galatians, right? That's probably written a lot nicer in the English than it was said in the Greek. He says, who has bewitched you, right? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Now, this is a question to believers. If you're a believer in here tonight, online in here, say amen. So this is for you. One thing I want to know, did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law, I mean, doing everything right or by believing what you heard? Answer the question. How did you get God's spirit? By being the person who perfects the law or by trusting in Jesus? Right? And he makes it clear in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our deposit for our redemption. You want to know how God recognizes you? Not by the clothes you wear, but the church you go to, how many tattoos you have or don't have, whether you have an ear piercing or not, whether you have a ponytail or a man bun. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. You know how God recognizes you? He has to see the Holy Spirit in you. How did you get the Holy Spirit? By being perfect, by doing right, or by having faith in Jesus. 
Makes sense, right? So he asked them, are you so foolish that after beginning with the spirit that you got by faith, are you now trying to keep it, right? Are you now trying to attain your goal by what? Human effort. He goes on to say, have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? He says, does God give us his spirit and work miracles among us and among you because you observe the law because you're so right? You're always the person that does right. Does God do all those things through you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Right? Listen, I've done this a long time and I've been a Christian a long time. And the one thing I've observed in most people that I know who have faith in God is they spend a lot of time trying to earn a salvation that they accepted through faith in Jesus Christ after they get it. And you want to know why I know that? Because I've been to lots of churches in 35 years of ministry. And you know what most of them talk about? Sin. Making sure to scare the H-E-double-L-L out of you. Right? That's what we want to talk about. Because we are convinced in churches, most churches are convinced that yes, to be saved, you got to have faith in Jesus Christ. But once you get it, you got to prove to people that you can keep it. And you want to know how you do that? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go to bars, don't listen to rock music, don't do yoga, don't do these things because, oh, all these things are bad for you. And they tell me you're in a bad spot. Come on. Here's what he said. Are you so foolish? That you got your free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus that you think you can keep it now by being perfect? That's insane. But that's exactly what the Jewish, Jewish leaders were trying to convince these people of. And what I know is that some of you still struggle with that. Because the person you spend most of your time talking to God about is who? Yourself. I'm so sorry, God. I'll never do it again, God. I don't know what's wrong with me, God. I don't know how you can use me, God. Here's what he said. Why do you think that what God gave you for free is now something you can earn? It happens all the time, right? Listen to what he says in Galatians 5, 1 through 5. Listen, this is all introduction, so sit back. It's going to be fun, right? This is all just sort of laying a foundation here, right? He says, listen, this, this is, just, just read it out loud with me. Everybody online, everybody here, just read it out loud. It is for Man, we live in America. One of the frustrations that people are having in America, it feels, it feels like our what's been taken away. Our freedom. We've been living in a nation where we've been told for years that this is a democracy and we have freedom. The Constitution, right, gives us these inalienable rights that we're free to blank, 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 blank. And now we live in a world we feel like it's been taken away and we're fighting back. Because we hate to lose our what? Christian people give it up all the time. Christian people give their freedom up in Christ. Not their freedom as an American, but their freedom in Christ. And their freedom is this. You are a sinner. Yes. And you know to be saved, you've got to put your faith in. Why then does what Jesus gives you become something you've got to earn to keep it? That's giving up your freedom. But you don't know what I did last night. I don't care. Because here's what, here's what Paul or the psalmist wrote that, they, that Joe talked about. As far as the east is from the, I remove your sins from me. 
Why then do you keep reminding yourself of the bondage of those stupidity things? Ask God to forgive you. Move forward. But here's the thing. We can't. Most people can't. They don't know how. And here's why they don't know how. Because they don't understand Titus 2, 11 through 14. Because he goes on to say, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Don't give ground then. Don't give it up. But I didn't do well yesterday. Fine. You're still free in Christ because Jesus paid the debt for that stupid act. Simply confess your sin, agree with God it was wrong, and move forward. Now listen, listen, let's be clear about something here. If you sin against another human being, you might have some collateral damage. Everybody clear about that? You may not have any collateral damage with God, but you may have collateral damage with your spouse. It might take them a week or two to forgive you. It'll take God no time at all. Right? You may have some trouble with a friend. Right? And say, oh man, I'm really sorry I did that. It may take them seven to ten days to get past it. Right? It'll take God no time at all. Because God's economy is much different than ours at times. Does that make sense to you? Listen, my freedom in Jesus doesn't mean I'm free from everybody else, unfortunately. We spend a lot of time in bondage to other people. And those of you that are paying for your sins with people in your life, how much fun is that? Right? Don't you love living with people that never forget what you do? Don't you love having people that constantly keep you in bondage to that? But here's the thing. God does not. He does not. I get one amen for that. Right? Listen, I don't know all of you, but I know enough of you to know you should have said amen, right? Listen, if it wasn't for the freedom that Jesus gives us, why in the world are you here? You're, you're, you're playing pretty loose with the odds here if you don't think Jesus set you free from the stupidity you did last month or last year or the stuff that you're planning to do this weekend, right? He says, stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of what? Man. <laughs> Living in a world where you got to earn your salvation by what you don't do instead of showing God that you have it by what you do is slavery. And here's why. You're a sinner. And no matter how hard you try, you're always going to be a sinner. And if you think that you're not, you just have pride as your sin. Right? He goes on to say this. Mark my words. We put an exclamation in it in English. So you know, in the Greek, Paul is making a point. I, Paul, tell you that if you let, listen, these are, these are the second harshest words that Paul says in this letter. The most vicious words he says is to the Jews who want you to be circumcised. He says, I wish you would just emasculate yourself while you're at it. Right? He goes on to say, mark my words, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, that means let yourself now believe I've got to observe the law, meaning I've got to be perfect. If you do that, he says, Christ will be of no value to you at all. I meet Christians all the time that have no, no, no value of Jesus. They're miserable human beings. Those people leave the church because they had a bad church experience. And now they're deconstructing their faith and they're trying to figure it out. Here's why. Because they accepted something for free and then they tried to prove they were worth it. Doesn't work that way in salvation. 
He says, again, I declare to you, and that was the easy part. He gets more. I declare to you, to every person who lets themselves be circumcised, that means lets themselves, after they accept Jesus, to become, to become enslaved again to the mentality, here's the rules, A through Z, and you've got to keep A through Z every single time. He says, I tell you to every person that does that, that that person is obligated to obey the the whole law. You don't get to go, but you have no idea what they did to me. No, 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 no. If they spit on you, you can't spit back. If they cut you off in traffic, you can't cuss at them. But you don't know what they did to me. Ain't none of that if you're going to try to prove to God you can keep your salvation by earning it. you got to obey the whole law every time. He says... You who are, and listen, this is speaking to somebody in here or somebody online. You who are trying to be justified, declared not guilty by observing A through Z with God all the time, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from Man, I'm telling you what. People want to know whether or not you can fall from grace or whether it's all once saved, always saved. Listen. Jesus saves everybody who comes to him. Somebody say amen. He can't save anybody that walks away from him. He can't. You want to know how to walk away from Jesus? Accept him. Oh man, I need Jesus. I'm going to accept him. And then decide you've got another external way to prove to God you're worth it. You'll make Jesus of no value to you. And not only that, you'll be alienated from Jesus. You will have fallen from grace. That's a problem. You want to know it's a problem? Because Ephesians 2 says you're saved by grace. You want to fall away from grace? Then you can fall away from salvation. Because you've decided. And listen, let's be clear. You're not falling away from salvation because you have no idea the cussing fit I had last night. You had no idea that I'm an adulterer. You have no idea that I'm a liar. You have no idea that I'm a drunk. You have no idea that I love Jesus, but I'm, I'm addicted to porn. You have no Listen, you're using the wrong measurement. The measurement is this. Are you a sinner? And have you accepted Jesus as payment for those sins? You're free from the law of sin and grace. You've got to stay connected to Jesus. Now, if you decide, this following Jesus thing's harder than I make it up to be, and you've got all of these rules you've got to keep, and you make everybody around you keep all those laws, here's what's going to happen. Jesus ain't going to make a thing to you. As a matter of fact, it'll make you angry. It'll make you bitter. Here's what I want you to know as we study this last three verses. The way to be right with God is to accept Jesus by faith. Somebody say amen. Earning what was given to you for free, not necessary. Not necessary. This is a free thing. So, I'm done with my introduction. That only took so many minutes, okay? I'm going to read Titus 2, 11 through 14. I think that was read during the worship service, right? Deidre, yes, right? I'm going to read it to you again. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches. It in the Greek refers to grace. So grace, grace. Everybody said grace. Grace teaches us to say what? Grace teaches us to say what? One more time. Grace teaches us to say what? That's what grace does. Ain't no preacher ever preaching too much about grace. 
The problem is we teach about sin to say no to it, but we never connect it to grace. We connect it to something different. He says grace teaches us to say no to what? Godliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, right? Upright and godly lives in this present age. That's grace's job, right? He says, well, while we wait for the blessed hope, which is what? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? What did Jesus do? He gave himself for us to redeem, to buy back us from all wickedness. How did he do that? He took the consequence of your sin and he paid the debt. The redemption price, right? The price that Jesus had to pay to set you free from your surefire eternity in hell was Jesus had to sacrifice himself. What would you say to Jesus if you could see him tonight? Thank you. Right? If you've got anything else to say to Jesus, you have no idea what Jesus did for you. If your first thing is, I've got some questions for him, you're missing the point. If the first thing out of your mouth comes from an agenda designed to satisfy you, you're missing the point of Jesus. If you get that Jesus had to die, had to sacrifice himself as an innocent, just so you could claim it as your own. So God would accept you and you would want to say anything to Jesus other than thank you. You've missed the point. Does that make sense? He says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness and to, and to what? And to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what? That's good. Listen, here's the reason God redeemed you. Because you've got work to do. Right? You've got work to do. We all got work to do. Bring that verse back up. I got carried away. I'm not done yet. Very own, eager to do what's good. Verse 15. Did I do 15? I probably didn't do 15, which is why he moved on. Right? So that's fine. Right? Listen, God saved us so that we could get busy doing what's good. You, listen, you know this is true. You can't be doing what God's designed you to do if the only person you're focusing on is who? Yourself. And you want to know a surefire way to make Christian people focus on themselves? Convince them they got to earn what God gave them for free. Listen, you ever, you ever met Christians that are constantly telling you, telling you the resume? All the things that they're doing, right? How good they're doing, right? Those people are exhausted. Hey, just met people in general that give you the resume. Hey, how are you doing? And they start telling you everything they're doing. Right? Like they got to give you your calendar just so they, just so you know, every time you see them, whoo, that person's really important. They're busy all the time. Right? Listen, there are Christians like that. They constantly just want to tell you what they're doing. Right? Like you need to know, like they want to make it clear to us who are listening. Hey, we're earning, right? We're earning what God gave us. And I know you're not. And I know, and, and, and earning from it. There's accepting. Right? There's accepting, but there's not earning. So here's, here's some takeaways. I want to get to this, right? Here's the first one. Everybody read it with me. Grace is for, right? We talk about this all the time, right? Second Peter, second Peter, um, three, nine, Joe referenced this. I reference this all the time. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. What promise about him returning, right? As some people understand his slowness. Instead, what's God doing? He's being patient. Listen, you think that Jesus, like God, why don't we just end this now, get Jesus on the way? You think that it's frustrating. God's waiting patiently. Why? Not wanting anyone to what? Perish. 
How many people does God want saved? All people. All of them. He wants them all to be saved. So the grace of God appears for all people. Because God's desire for all people to be saved. And we're saved by faith in who? Jesus. Listen to what John 1.14 says. John 1.14 says about Jesus... The word of God, right? The word of God, who is Jesus, became flesh. So the word, which is his name, became flesh and we called him Jesus, right? The word is Jesus' name, right? He is the word of God. When he became a human, he became Jesus of Nazareth. That makes sense to you? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen him with his glory, the glory of the one and only Who came from the Father full of what? The grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to how many people? So, church, how many people should we be after? All of them. All of them. Listen, if you go to a church that tells you that we shouldn't be about spreading the gospel to the entire world, you're probably not at the right church. God wants to save all of them. Which means, I'm going to stand up and preach for just a minute. If we're going to reach all of them, for a lot of them, they're going to start their journey where? Right here. Right? How many of you have ever invited somebody to come to church with you? So a lot of people who don't know Jesus are going to start their journey journey where? Right here. Which means we're going to have to bring in transgender people. People who are attracted to same sex, people who are black, who are Latino, who are rich, who are poor, who are not like you, who don't like Christian music, don't like Christian churches, don't like Christian people. If we're going to reach all these people and in North America, a lot of their journeys begin inside a church building because you ask them to come, we've got to stop being uncomfortable with those people around us. Because you want to know how many people it takes to make a non-believer feel uncomfortable in your church when they come by your invitation? One. The question is, are you so on board with mission? Are you so on board with the grace of God coming to save all people that you're willing to sit in your seat and three rows over, watch a lesbian couple hold hands while they hear the gospel for the first time? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Because if you're not... What are we doing? What are we doing? If the salvation of God appeared to how many people? All people. Which means Jesus is available for all people. Listen, we don't live in a third world country. We live in a North America where we build $11 million buildings to get you to invite your friends to come. And if you're doing it right, your friends are far from God. Which means you might bring some people in the church that people are like, who is that and why are they here? And you want to know how many people saying that makes them never want to come back? One. Just one. Do you really want to be the one that makes that person never come back to hear Jesus again? Do you really want to be the one that makes the prodigal daughter, prodigal son never come back again? Man, one of the coolest stories happened in Palm Bay a couple years ago. It was right after the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. And Pastor David, man, if you ever get a chance and you're just ready for a drive, go down and worship with Palm Bay, one of our, one of our sister campuses. 
It's the busiest 300-person church I've ever seen in my life. They're constantly at work. Well, in their, in their endeavors to reach the community, a lesbian couple came to their service by invitation and kept coming, right? Because listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but God has set eternity in every human being's heart. Every human being, no matter what they're doing, at some time is going to try to fill that hole. And if you ask them at the right time, they're going to come with you to church no matter what kind of life they got because they're just searching. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick of people searching and giving up and taking their own life. They got to find hope somewhere. This is the place. Which means this lesbian couple kept coming. And David kept talking to him and he kept loving on him. And every time they were there, the church just loved on him. Not one time did anybody say something stupid and make them feel like they didn't belong. And then those two got convicted by the Holy Spirit. And one of them was in the middle of having transgender surgery to change their sex. And God got a hold of them through the Holy Spirit's work and convicted them to accept Jesus as their Savior. Right? Then, then they had some decisions to make. And they began to work through those decisions about how to live an honorable lifestyle as a non-lesbian couple to honor God who got a hold of them because they came to church holding hands and never once were made to feel like they didn't belong. And you want to know why? Because the campus believed that the salvation of God appeared to all people. Listen, it's not comfortable. All Listen, I got a daughter who drags every stray dog home sometimes. And by stray dog, I mean man. I'm just kidding. God, Harmony, if you're watching this, I am so sorry, right? Hyperbole for a joke, okay? But you know, one of the hardest things about being a father to a daughter is watching who they choose to date. Now, I know some of you have raised daughters and you've never had that problem. Good for you, right? <laughs> but sometimes it's hard. Because, listen, I know my mom's in heaven right now just shaking her head like, what is he talking about? Right? I get it. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. You're here to worship God and to sing his praises and he's almighty and he's holy and he's eternal and he's love and he's all this. And you're standing to worship and you notice a couple in front of you and they're both guys and they're holding hands and they got their arms around each other. And you're like, what is happening? I get it. It's uncomfortable. But the question is this, has salvation of God appeared to that couple? Yes. Where are they going to find it in America? Probably in a church. Which means you got to make space for that. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, man, that's a complication. Because the salvation of God, grace has appeared to all. If you don't like a church and you're always asking, what are we doing with people locally? All Joe ever talks about is Afghanistan and Egypt. You want to know why? Because people are dying and going to hell in Afghanistan. People are dying and going to hell in Egypt. People are dying and going to hell in Africa. Why did we ask you to give... $15,000 for a care point because children under the age of 12 will die routinely in the sub-Sahara desert because of AIDS. And those children are going to answer to a living God. How much money are you willing to give to see one of them stand before God and know Jesus? Is 15000 too much for an eternal soul? Right? Is 38 bucks a month too much for an eternal soul? I don't think so. 
Because why? The grace of God has appeared to how many people? Listen, I went to a church of Christ in 1981. 81. And I was, listen, I was an outcast. I was a poor kid with long, greasy hair. We didn't have indoor plumbing. We didn't have running water. I drove an old Dodge Dart, right? I left snow tires on it so it looked cool year round. I was a moron, right? I liked rock music. I liked girls. I liked smoking Swisher Sweet cigars. And occasionally I didn't mind drinking. And I got invited to a redneck farming community church of Christ in the middle of nowhere. And not one time did those people ever make me feel like I didn't belong. Not once. And I was, I was a mess. And I don't know how, I don't know how they were so willing to accept. And I wasn't the only person like that they brought in. And within two years, the youth group had more people in it than the church did of itself. Because somehow they gave to students what they wouldn't give to adults. And adults weren't made to feel welcome in that church. But I was. And Ray and Debbie Tyler are the reason I know Jesus today. Because in spite of who I was outside of Christ, they wanted me to know who I could be in Christ. And they never, ever, ever, ever made me feel like an outcast. The question is, how many people aren't coming to this space and have to go online just because they're afraid that if they come here, they're going to be made to feel uncomfortable? Man, listen. If you believe that the grace of God has appeared to all people, we've got to make space for them. Which is why when Joe says to you, hey, when the COVID numbers are back to normal, get out of 930 so those people can come here. There's a reason because that's the service they're going to come to. Are you willing to give up your seat at 930? Well, I like going to church at 930. Are you comfortable with those people going to hell? Because if you are, stay at 930. But if you know your seat could be taken by a visitor, go to 630. I don't think it's a big ask, Right. Hey, when we have Christmas Eve coming up, we're going to have four services. We're going to see 5,000 people on campus. Are you willing to park off campus and walk 150 yards, 200 yards to the front door just so the prodigal daughter can drive her beat up Mercedes into the parking lot, drag her kid back to children's ministry and hopefully set through 35 minutes of the service? Absolutely. That's why we ask the things we ask. Why? Because salvation of God has appeared to all men. Okay, I'm done. Let me shut up. I'm going to read, I'm going to read, um, Ephesians one, David three through 10, right? Ephesians one, three through 10, man. He's really good. You guys thank David back there. He does a fantastic job, right? Like I am like all over the place and he just sits back there calmly. Just never, he says this praise be to the God and father. Oh, by the way, say, say thank you to Mike Mills too. Hey, Mike, Mike does a great job back there. He's. Uh, listen, Mike lost a bet to our student pastor and shaved his head and he still loves Jesus. It's amazing, right? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Some of you are waiting for God's every, every spiritual blessing to happen here. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. You might have to wait for every spiritual blessing. Stop acting like God's supposed to give you every spiritual blessing here. You're not going to get it. But he says, everything's been blessed in the heavenly realms with the spiritual blessing in Christ. He goes on to say this, for he chose us, he chose you. Don't tell me you're not important. Don't tell me you have value. Don't tell me God does, doesn't have any idea what you've done or where you've been. God chose you, right? 
So what you didn't get picked for your kickball team? So what you didn't kick, get picked to be part of the homecoming court? Who cares? God chose you in Him before the creation of the world, meaning He didn't even wait to see who you were or what you would do. He chose you anyway. Come on, man, that's powerful. He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He says in love, we put periods and there's no periods in the Greek in this sentence. He says it's one long sentence in Him, right? He predestined us, right? To be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. To the praise of His glorious grace. The praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in Jesus, the one he loves, Jesus. Are God's graces available to Jesus? Right? Because in Jesus, we have redemption, meaning price paid through his blood, right? Meaning he had to give up his life. That's the payment. The forgiveness, the Greek word forgiveness means to cover, right? So you can't see him. The price has been paid and you can't see him. So you've been set free from that. Amen, church, right? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's what? How many people do you know who don't know Jesus that you want them to experience that? All of them. Man, if you want all, you've got to make them comfortable on this property. Whether it's a Tuesday service, a Wednesday service, a Saturday service, a Sunday service, whether it's a special event. Man, if we want salvation to come to all people, listen... If you think for a second that this church, this service, this building, this property isn't going to be used by people who live in America in 2021 to come to faith in Christ, you don't understand the culture in which we live in. And if you think that we should not have those people here, tell me, tell me how you're going to reach them for Jesus. Because every statistic we read tells us this is the place where that can begin. Every one of them, which means you might have to be a little bit uncomfortable and you may have to come to work, come to church and keep your mouth shut. I mean, think about it. If you can come to church, and keep your mouth shut. Lunch will be a lot better because you can just talk it all out there. Did you see what happened at church today? I'm just kidding. Right. All right. Move on. The grace of God saves how many people? Appeared all of them, man. All right. Second one is this grace. Grace instructs us, right? It was simple, right? Listen to what Galatians 2 or verse 12 and 13 say, right? Grace teaches us to say what? Listen, I, I don't know if it's clear to you, but according to scripture, those of us who have sinned, that means possessing the knowledge of good and evil. And in spite of knowing good and evil, we've chose to ignore good and we've done evil. How many people in here, by having the knowledge of good and evil, have at times, or at least once, chose to ignore the good thing to do? How many of you, knowing evil, have chosen to do evil at least once? Do you understand that in the relationship with God, that makes you guilty of punishment by eternal death, a life in hell that God prepared for devil and the demons, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where Joe clearly laid out in his sermon, there's no love, there's no light, there's no breath, 
There's no life. The Bible says where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's a fire that it's unquenched, there's pure agony and misery in a life without love and without light. And do you know that because of your failure to handle the knowledge of good and evil well, you should be there too? And do you know that the only reason you're not is because the grace of God appeared to save you? Man, I went to... I don't know. There's a there's a place down on A1A. It's got like a big car hanging out of it right down there at A1A before before the speedway. There's a barbecue shop there, barbecue restaurant. And then there's a there's an old there's an old bar there that's got a car on it. I don't know what the name of it is. It's some dive bar, right? And I like dives. And so years ago, I took my my wife and my two daughters to go to this restaurant on a Sunday afternoon. And we go in there, and there's Nobody's there. Maybe, I think there was two cup, two tables being used. All the wait staff we saw were, were girls, right? We come over, they, we order food, blah, blah, blah. I order a chicken sandwich and fries. So, by the second bite on my chicken sandwich, I got choked. I have a little bit of a gag reflux or gag reflex issue that chicken at times triggers it and I can't swallow the chicken. I found that out years ago and... I thought I'd gotten past it. So I take a bite of this chicken sandwich and it lodges. And this time I can't breathe. I'm stuck and it's stuck and I can't get it out. And I try and I know I can't because I take a drink of water and try to gulp real hard to get it down. And the water spits back on the table. And at this point in time, I'm choking to death. My wife gets up and tries to give me the Heimlich maneuver. The problem is I'm six foot four, 260 pounds, and my body is as stiff as a rock because of that. And she can't even get her arms around me. By this point in time, I'm in the booth and I can't breathe. And there's no men anywhere that can be seen. And my wife is in full panic mode. And the next thing I know, this strong arm grabs me out of the booth and stands me up and puts his mouth on the left side of my ear and says, I've got you. And by the third tug on me, I puke that chicken sandwich all over my table. I spew food everywhere. I know you're going, this is Wednesday night church. Welcome, right? Right. I throw up everywhere on the table. Here's what I know. That man saved my life. He was done eating. Him and his family happened to be standing by the front door at the gift shop on their way out. Had he not been in the restaurant, I would have died. Now, let me ask you a question. How much gratitude do I owe that man? I don't owe him a lot. I owe him my gratitude for life. I won't ever meet him again, ever. He wasn't even from, he wasn't even from town. He was out of town visiting, but I owe that man my life. Honest to God, had he not been there, I would have died. Nobody was going to get that out of me, but he got behind me and got that out of me. Another reason to love the military because he was an ex Marine, right? Marine Corps birthday, November the 10th, right? Oh, shut up. All right. That man saved my life. My physical life was saved by a complete stranger. And I've never been able to say thank you to him. But I owe him 
Every day I have had since then, I owe that man a debt of gratitude. Every day you don't have to face hell is a day you should be appreciative of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that not a great instructor as to why you should say no? Like, listen, if you get what God did through Jesus to save you, that'll teach you what to say no to. I'm, I'm, I'm not embarrassed about much of anything, so I'm not embarrassed to say this. But that guy that day in that restaurant gave me my life. I would have lost it that day. And I can tell you right now that if I laid out the map of my life since the day that that guy saved me, he would look at me at times and go, why are you wasting your life? Because I haven't repaid. Listen. I can tell you, I'm not the picture perfect man of health and I still eat chicken and it still gets stuck once in a while, right? Like I'm a moron. I get it, right? Like if I truly got how appreciative I should be about that man saving my life, I would make some changes and say no to some things. Listen, you want to know how to say no to the things that your flesh always wants to do? Have a greater appreciation for what the grace of God did to you. The grace of God is the greatest teacher in the world. Listen, stop pointing your fingers at your children and telling them what not to do. Teach them how good the grace of God is and they'll get it. We do it all wrong. We try to scare the hell out of people when the reality is Jesus already took that fear away. That's what makes me go, I probably oughtn't to do that. I probably oughtn't to do that. But we get it backwards. And listen, let's be honest. I was raised by a dad who was terrifying. Do you know how much his fear kept me from doing what was wrong? <laughs> my dad was a brute. He wasn't a believer. He just assumed, listen, my dad was the kind of dad, and some of you would be like, man, you were abused. Yes, I was. My dad was the kind of guy that if we did something wrong, he made us go out in the front yard, take a stick off the tree, take the leaves off of it, and whip it around so we could hear it, and then he beat the lower part of our legs with it. And do you think all that fear kept me from doing what was wrong? I lied to that man like a dog. I snuck in and drank his alcohol. I looked for his dirty magazines. I took money out of his wallet. You want to know why? Because fear isn't enough to keep people from saying no. But you know it is? The grace of God. Man, I am convinced that today most Christians have no idea what grace does for them. Because if they did, they'd be a lot better at saying no. The grace of God instructs us. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go much longer. I, so if you go back there to get your kids and the, and the children's ministry people are complaining, just tell them it was worth it. Okay? Second <laughs> Corinthians 12. Paul says, Paul's talking about himself here. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. Right? I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Paul now talking about his vision revelation, even though he refers to himself in the third person. I know a man in Christ, he's going to be contextually talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, right? Don't ask me about third heaven, i explain it later, right? You want to buy me lunch, I'll explain it to you, right? Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows what happened, right? And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, he said this, was caught up to paradise, meaning this man, Paul, was caught up to the abode of God. 
That's where he got caught up. 14 years before this writing, Paul got a revelation where he got caught up into the abode of God. He says he led or he heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. He don't know. I don't know what he saw. Don't know what he heard. But I know this. We ain't ever going to know it. But he got to see it and he got to hear it. He said, I'm going to book. He said, I will boast about him, about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my what? About my what? About my weaknesses. He goes on to say this. Even if I should choose to boast, Paul says, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, right? Listen, that thing about third heaven, that happened to me. He said, I could boast about that and I would be telling the truth. He goes, even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain, he says, so no one will think more of me than it's warranted by what I do or say. Listen, if all you do is talk about yourself and all the great things that you're doing, ain't nobody finding Jesus. They're finding who? They're finding you. And the last time I, died, no, I checked, none of us died to set somebody free from their sins so they could go to heaven. Right? He says, listen to this. This was God's plan. So to keep me from becoming conceited, God Intentionally chose to keep Paul from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. God gave me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Satan's now acting with God's permission to torment Paul in the thorn in the flesh to torment me. What? I'm going to give my life to serve you, to travel the world, to be persecuted. And your response to that, God, is to torment me further with the messenger of Satan. Why? Because God doesn't want Paul to be conceited and make people think more of him than Jesus. That might be happening to somebody in here. He says this. Three times I pleaded, begged in the Greek, begged with the Lord to take it from me. Look what God says. My Grace is what? My grace is enough for what? For my power then can be made perfect in weakness. You see, grace makes space for the good things of God to be seen. And to do that, sometimes it's the thing that teaches us to say no. Grace is a great, a great, listen, I said, I said this to my friend today. I'll say it to you. Grace teaches us to say no, what to say no to. Love teaches us what to say yes to. Grace teaches us what to say no to. Listen, if you don't have a good idea of what grace did for you, why not go out and be stupid? Why not go out and sin? Why not go out and ignore what God wants in the word? You get what grace does for you. It's the greatest way to teach you to say no. And here's the last one real quick. The last one is this. Uh, the The third point is this. Grace frees us to say yes. Just listen. I'm going to read these. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so... God so... That he... Love tells us what to say yes to. Go to the next verse. Verse 17. Just click the next slide. God didn't send his son into the world to what? Jesus wasn't here to point the finger and go, no, 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 you can't be doing that. I didn't send the world to condemn the world, but the, but to what? 
save, rescue, restore the world through him. Love motivated God in knowing what to say yes to. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another, right? Verse 14 through 16 or through 18. We know that we have passed from death to life, from unsaved to saved, because we what? Love our, stop measuring the success of your salvation based on the fact that I didn't do anything wrong yesterday. I didn't do anything wrong last week. Who cares? You want to know that you passed from death to life? Did you love your brother or sister? He says, anyone, anyone who does not love remains lost. Right? Move, move on. Go to first John chapter four, seven through 12. Dear friends, let's love one another for love comes from, bring that verse back up. Everyone who loves has been born of God. You want to know how you're saved? You love others and knows God. Next verse. Whoever doesn't love does not know God. Has never had a personal experience with God. So I, Lord, I cast out demons in your name and I prophesied in your name and I went on a mission trip in your name and I came to church in your name and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because love is a signifier of knowing God because God is love. Verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. Love teaches us what to say yes to. God loved us, what did he do? He sent or gave us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love Listen, grace teaches, listen, grace will teach you what to say no to, but love will teach you what to say yes to. If you have a great grasp of grace, you'll know what to say no to. And if you have a great grasp of the love of God, you'll know what to give. You'll know what to send. You'll know how to love your brother because he's going to say this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love should never be a response, right? Love should not be a reactor. It should be proactive, right? Oh, I, I know God loves me because I love him. Nope. Right? You want to show love? Just go show love. Don't worry about whether they get it or not. Just show love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first. Right? You want to determine how loving you are? Are you a person that waits for something positive to happen before you give your love? Or do you just take the chance and love anyway and run the risk of being hurt, run the risk of being taken advantage of, run the risk of being taken for granted? If that's your love, then you love. But if you're the person that always waits, well, I'll just sit back and wait and see what happens. And then I'll determine if I love. That's not love. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No, listen how powerful love is. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Meaning people can see an invisible God very clearly when they see us love one another. He goes on to say this, listen to, to Matthew 24, Matthew 20 or yeah, 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, now the law keepers, right? Came to Jesus, Right. One of them, an expert in the law, right? All of those 613 laws and then all of those machinations of all of those laws. One of them was an expert in it and tested Jesus with this question. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said this, 
Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. Second is like it. Listen, if the love of God is in you, you'll know what to say yes to. Love your neighbor as what? How many of you are going to eat after church tonight? How many of you ate before church tonight? How many of you took the time to make sure that in that way that you loved yourself by feeding yourself, you'll do the same to somebody who's hungry? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the way you do it. Amen, right? That's the way love works, right? All the law and prophets, everything to do with making God happy by doing things right hangs on those two commandments. How about this one? John 13, 34, 35. Jesus said this the night before he was crucified, arrested and crucified. A new command I give you, love one another. That's not new, but he says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, which means what? If you love others, you'll lay down your life for them. Though they might not accept you, Jesus, I don't care. Love doesn't measure the result. Love gives. Because he says this, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you what? Listen, I'm not stupid enough to think that all people are going to know I'm a disciple of Jesus just because I like to talk on stage. That's just a gift and a calling that God's given me. My neighbors, the people I come into contact with, the windows and the drive-thrus, the people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis that don't work with me, those people know I'm a disciple by my love, not by my job. Same with you. Same with all of us, right? How about this one, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision, law-keeping, nor uncircumcision, doing whatever you want. Neither one of those things has any value to God. The only, Everybody read it with me. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through... Listen, here's the thing. Don't tell me you love God. and don't. If you tell me you love God, you better have a list of yeses. Because love teaches us what to say yes to. Listen, you ain't expressing love by telling me what you didn't do. You're expressing your love by telling me what you do. Which is why Tomoka is an awesome church. Listen, dysfunctional group of people as you ever want to meet. Take a look around, right? But man, it's a church that gets that loving Jesus is about saying yes. Here's the last verse. Romans 6, 11-14. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Listen, sinner, say yes. If you're a sinner, say yes, right? Same with you online. We can't hear you, but we know there's sinners out there, right? Sinner, saved by Jesus, say amen, right? You need to count yourself dead to that old way of life. Listen, you're a sinner, own it. Guess what? God took care of the problem. Listen, he didn't remove your sinful flesh from you. You still got to deal with that. But the penalty for that sinful flesh and its stupidity, taken care of. So today, if you had a bad day and the sinful flesh won, get up tomorrow and say your confession to God. Trust that you've been set free from that and move forward. You've been set free. Why? Then this is what he says to do. Because your life to God in Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Let grace teach you what to say no to so that you obey its evil desires. Learn to say no because God's grace is an amazing thing. What did it do? It set us free from it. Set us free from the penalty of it. But I did it yesterday. You're still free from it. But I'll do it tomorrow. You're still free from it. 
And don't, don't, don't even, don't even quote me 1 John 3. Because I will buy your lunch and then explain it kindly, right? Don't offer, but he says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Listen, grace doesn't free you to sin. Grace teaches you to say no to it as instruments of wickedness, but rather being alive to God in Christ, offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought. What does that mean? Who understand grace from death to life. What does grace do? We've been saved by, we've been saved by, bought us from death to life. Let grace teach you what to say no to and offer the parts of your body to him as what? Instruments of good. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. Let me tell you something right now. There's too many of you sitting in here today who've accepted Christ and sin still your master. And you're going to say, well, I'm not sinning. No, but you're counting. You're counting. You're trying to prove to somebody that you're righteous by counting and keeping track. And some of you online, some of you in here, you, you're beating yourself up. All the time. You can't, you can't offer yourself to God to do anything good because you're so consumed with what you're doing wrong. You need a greater appreciation of grace because grace will teach you what to say no to and, and love will teach you what to say yes to. Does that make sense to you, church? Listen, thanks for sticking with me. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for this place, the grace that these folks gave me to finish it. Thank you for our children's ministry. That will be frustrated, but they'll get over it. Thank you for that grace. And just thank you most of all for Jesus. I want us to become people who know how to be used by you. So God, teach us a greater appreciation of your grace so we can learn to say no, so we can be available to do the good that you've created us to do. In Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.